Amen. Good to be here in worship and to hear you singing this morning. Great job, and thank you. I, I want us, we don't do this real often, but I want you to express to these folks who lead us in worship our appreciation for them leading us and using their talents for the glory of Jesus. Would you do that? Thank you all. Under the very capable leadership of Brother Tommy. Thank you, Brother Tommy, for all that you do. Amen. I want you to listen closely. You may desire to make a few notes if you want to, but I want you to listen closely and listen quickly. I'm going to cover a lot of time and a lot of ground this morning in more of an overview and then next Sunday, we'll come back and break it down, start breaking it down, and we'll spend two or three Sundays on the simple teaching of the rapture of the church that's going to take place, what we understand to be the very next event on God's calendar of activities as we study the Scripture. We're going to focus our attention in the next few Sundays on the end of the age, referred to by the leaders of the dispensationalism as the age of the church or the time of the church. Now, I'm not a dispensationalist as such, but I do believe the scripture is abundantly clear in teaching on the era of the church doing its work, bringing glory to the Lord Jesus, doing the work of evangelism, and I'm thoroughly convinced that we are in the age of the church on the planet. But the Scripture is abundantly clear that there is soon coming a day when the church of the Lord Jesus Christ will be taken away and will not be on this planet Earth anymore, just as those who have died before us have gone to be with the Lord, we will be caught up together with them as they are resurrected, and we will, we will uh, join them in going to be with the Lord. The word that is translated caught up, as taught by the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13 and following, as we think about that, with our knowledge of the Scriptures, especially with an emphasis on prophecy in the Bible, as it is given to us, we find ourselves living in the time just prior to the rapture of the church. Now, you may find somebody in another denomination. You may find someone that sort of died in the wool, King James only. It's okay. I love the King James. I do think it's the best translation ever rendered. But I use the New King James, and I have no problem with more recent translations. But they will say to you, perhaps, the word rapture is not to be found in the Bible. Well, that is not true. It is certainly found in the Bible. It's just translated as caught up together. The word rapture comes from the Latin word rapior that we find that appears in the mentioned scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 13 to follow as 
in the, let me get this right, the passive form, future tense, first person plural, or rapiamur is the way that it appears in the Latin Vulgate, which was translated from Latin into the English Bible in 1611 into the King James Version as caught up together. When breaking down the meaning of the original language in consideration of its translation to Latin, the full meaning would be this if you read the Scripture word for word as to the original language. It would say, a sudden, instead of caught up together, a sudden rescue from impending danger by being snatched away and transported to a new place. That's exactly what is taught in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. That's what it's all about. And the word rapture is the English translation from the Latin Vulgate of the rapimur, which is that tense that I told you about, and the future tense, the passive form, first person plural, of a, a group of people that this is going to take place to them and for them. It is passive, so we'll not have to be active to do it. We'll just be caught up together by the Lord himself. I really believe, as we study the Scripture, and I've taught this in times past, but I'm going to go in much more depth and length and looking at it in these few sermons that we're going to look at together. I really believe we are in the very, very last days. We know some events that are going to take place. When you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, let me just read those verses to you. Paul says, but I don't want you to be ignorant. Boy, that's pretty good, isn't it? He starts out with this explanation by saying, I don't want you to be ignorant. So I'll read it to you. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those things or those who have fallen asleep lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who are asleep in Christ Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of an archangel, and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Can I say to you, that when a preacher preaches on the second coming of Jesus and when the scripture is taught and we're made to realize that the very next event that is planned on God's calendar of events is the calling out of the church, the rescuing of the church, the calling home of the church, the resurrection of those who have died in Christ, that God will bring them with him and they'll have a new body and we'll be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, and we'll be caught up together with them. Boy, that's a wonderful thought, isn't it? 
caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll ever be with the Lord. If that brings fright, if that brings horror, if that brings unrest to your mind and your heart this morning, something is wrong in your spiritual life. It is either that you've never been saved. You may go to the church regularly. You may have been baptized 25 times. You may have joined every church of every denomination in the county, but you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. You have never been born again by the Holy Spirit of God, and you've never been given the assurance of salvation in Christ Jesus. And when you hear that the rapture is soon going to take place, those who are saved, whether they're dead or still alive, those who are saved are going to be caught up together and taken away, and those who remain will be left behind and will not be in that place of heaven. If it causes unrest, if it causes fear, then you may not have ever come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or it could be a second reason. You can remember a time. You remember a day. You have an assurance that you indeed asked Jesus to come into your heart and your life and to be your Savior. You remember that. You remember praying a prayer and saying, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I realize Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Would you come into my life, forgive me, and be my Savior, and give me a home in heaven? And then you said a little prayer that says, thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayer and coming into my life and saving me. Now help me live for you in Jesus' name, amen. Now that is a similar prayer that you may have prayed. But since that time, there's been no spiritual growth. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul writes of that on a couple of occasions that you can't, you can't take the meat of the word, he says. You, you're still living on the pablum. You're still on the milk of the word. You've not grown any. Or maybe that you're a backslider. That's an old word we don't use anymore, but it is a biblical word. Be in a backslidden condition that you are saved. You did come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you started to grow. Maybe you sang in the choir. Maybe you were in the youth choir. Maybe you were involved in vacation Bible school. You started to grow, and you started to learn some things. But something happened in your maturing process of the flesh that you made a choice one day that you were going to do something you knew that you shouldn't do, and you, you decided you enjoyed that, and you decided to follow another crowd. You decided to meet together with a different kind of folks on a regular basis, and you, your activities changed from going to church to going to other places. And the people you hung around changed from being the people of the church. And you started hanging around folks that weren't in the church. And your life, your spiritual life has become cold and indifferent. And, and, and you don't even have the experience day in, day, day in and day out of knowing that Jesus is Lord of your life because you are in a backslidden condition. And that can be the reason that a person is not comfortable with the teaching of the end times. But for the child of God, the one who indeed knows Jesus as their Lord and Savior, the one who indeed is walking with him, I'm not saying perfectly walking with him. There is not one among us who is perfect. There is no one that is good but Jesus. 
I understand that we are sinners and that we deal with the flesh, but you're walking with Jesus the best you can each day, and you're growing, and you're looking forward to him coming. But there may be those who are not, and you're not where he would have you to be, and there's an unrest in your soul. Can I say to you, whether you're in the group that's never been saved or the group that's been saved, but yet you're not where God would have you to be, that there's not a better moment than right now to get it right with Jesus. If you're backslidden, you just tell him you're backslidden. You acknowledge it. If you, if you are an unfaithful Christian, you're not walking with him, you're, you're not studying his word, you're not praying, you're, you're not involved in, in the activities of the church and the work of the church and doing the work of evangelism and ministering and, and coming together, then you just say, God, I'm, I've blown it. I, I'm really a disobedient child. And I ask you right now, would you renew my heart? Would you renew my spirituality? Would you renew that joy that I once knew in walking with you, would you change my life so that I can look forward to the things that Pastor Rick is going to talk about in the weeks ahead? As we look at the weeks ahead, I want us to come back to the raptures I said next week. But today I just want to give you a timeline as the scripture teaches it of the things that are going to transpire through the end of this age. First of all, the rapture of the church is going to be the very next thing. I said that, the calling out of the redeemed. And then immediately, there's going to be the great tribulation. Now, I realize not everybody you read agrees with the order of events as I believe the Scripture teaches them. There are all kinds of different thoughts. I understand that. Herschel Hopp, our, our Baptist statesman of yesteryear, probably the, did the worst disservice to Baptists that he ever did. And he did a lot of good things, wonderful things. I knew him personally. I had him in my church. I, I, I watched him eat, and that was something to watch. I, I knew Dr. Hobbs. But when he wrote that book and put together the conglomerations of the different thoughts of the end times, and the, and the different schedules that different beliefs had, all he did was introduce a book of confusion. And a lot of folks have caught on to one thing, and it just sort of opens up their mind, and they get caught up in that. But the Scripture, if you follow the Scripture, not just by trying to figure out what the Revelation is teaching, not just trying to figure out the end times as they're given here, because the Revelation is not in order except the first three chapters and then starting with chapter four, those are in order. But from there on, there, you, get a, you get this scene and, and then you'll talk about this other, and then you come back and do this. And, it, and it, he's giving all of those things, but it's not in necessarily in chronological order. But the thing that we have to understand is God has indeed given us an order. And you have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. You have to look at the scriptures of the Old Testament in order to sometimes to know what the scriptures of the New Testament mean. And if you're familiar with the New Testament, then when you go back and read the Old Testament, as we preach through a series on portraits or pictures or types of Christ, shadows of Christ in the Old Testament, we saw that God had a plan that was in the works and in the makings 
from the very beginning of the creation of man and even before man's creation, he had that plan of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it becomes evident when you know the New Testament and you go back and read the Old Testament and hear Jesus say in the New Testament, when you read these things, these scriptures in the Old Testament, they speak of me. They testify of me. And when you get to learn that, then you get to understand the Old Testament better. And your New Testament has to be borne out by the Old Testament. I've said a lot here just to say this. I believe the Scripture in Scripture interpreting Scripture. Scripture helping us understand Scripture. The order of events are such as this. Immediately after the rapture of the church, which is the very next thing on God's agenda, will be the great tribulation, seven years of terrible tribulation on this earth. During this time, the church will be with Jesus. Those that have died before will be resurrected, which were alive and remain, shall be called together, and we will be with the Lord in heaven. But during this time will be the judgment seat of Christ where every Christian will stand before the Lord Jesus and give an account of our life from the day that we were born again, from the day we were saved, until that day. And we will give an account one at a time. And, and the Scripture teaches about the judgment of the seat of Christ and, and that how some things that are done for the glory of the flesh and for the fulfillment of the flesh will be burned up by the fire of His judgment at the judgment seat of Christ and will be burned like wood, hay, and stubble, is what the Apostle Paul says. But even so, their works may be burned up. They, will be, they are saved, and they will survive the judgment fire of their works, and they'll be in heaven with Jesus. At that time, he will give out the rewards. At those times, that time, he will acknowledge those who have served him faithfully. And we'll be rewarded. We'll, we'll be recognized. Those things that survive the judgment seat of Christ and the fire of the judgment seat of Christ will live forever. But those things that we did not, where we did not bring glory to his name, will be burned up and they will not be surviving forever. So let me help you with that. That means we won't ever hear of them again. That means they won't ever come back to haunt us again. That means we'll never have to put up with the failures of the flesh again. Even the things that we were doing in church that was for our, our own vainglory that will be consumed by that judgment fire, but we will be saved and we'll rejoice. Those things will be forever done away with. And after the judgment seat of Christ, let me read about that. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10 for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And then he goes on and talks about the fire that I was talking about. The next thing that's going to take place will be the great marriage feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Listen to what he says in the Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 through 9. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it is granted to be arrayed in fine linen, 
clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous act of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. So will be the rapture of the church. There will be the judgment seat of Christ for the church and the marriage supper of the Lamb all taking place during these seven years of tribulation. We'll talk about that a little more later because I don't have time to go into the other teachings and beliefs, but we'll get to that when we talk about the rapture of the church. The next thing that's going to take place will be the second coming of Jesus. You differentiate between the first time that he comes back it will be that we'll meet the Lord in the air. He will not come back to planet Earth. He won't set forth until he, his foot comes and touches the mount at the time of the, him coming to fight the battle of Armageddon. I'll never forget, I used to, used to be sort of proud of myself as a young preacher for saying things like, I, I don't ask me to pray for your dog. I'd say there are not going to be any dogs in heaven. They don't have a soul. They're not going to go to heaven. There are not going to be animals there. And Stan and Sharon Hurst, a little girl, came up to me after service, and she said, Brother Rick, did you say there are not going to be any animals in heaven? I said, yes, ma'am. That's what I said. She said, well, where did Jesus get that white horse he's going to ride back on? I said, you know, you may be right. <laughs> I don't know. I used to say that, you know, young preachers think they know it all. And I, I'm sure I went through those times also. I don't know if they're going to be animals in heaven, but I do know animals don't have souls. They don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not saved or lost. They're one of God's wonderful created beings. But he's going to come back then riding on a white horse. And he's going to come back to fight the battle of Armageddon. Now, as we look at this later, we'll find that all of the nations of the earth, you know what that includes? All the nations of the earth. That does not exclude the United States of America. It doesn't exclude Ecuador. It doesn't exclude Haiti. It doesn't exclude Canada. South, it doesn't exclude Australia. All the nations of the world, according to the word of God, that the hatred for God and for the Lord Jesus Christ, the hatred for Israel that has been called God's chosen people all through these years will fester and fester and fester just as we see it happening right now throughout the world. And that will grow and grow until all the nations will gather together and will include the United States of America who stands by Israel and has stood by Israel for years. But sometime, and we see that focus beginning to change now, sometime before that event, even the U.S. will join with all the other nations and we'll, they'll go against the nation of Israel. And all of these armies for the world coming in on one little nation, Israel, 
they're without hope, aren't they? They're without any hope of surviving. There's no way they can defeat all of those armies. But the Bible says that Jesus will come and he will fight the battle of Armageddon and he'll defeat all of the armies of the world and he'll rescue Israel and then he'll set up his millennial reign here. That event's going to take place. Right after that event, before the millennial reign, will be the resurrection of the tribulation saints. There are going to be folks that will be saved during the tribulation. I happen to believe, and I think it bears me out in the scripture, that God says that his spirit has appeared or talked once, spoken once, drawn once, once to every person. So it will appear to me that no one who's had the opportunity to trust in Jesus and be saved will be a part of that group that will be saved during this great tribulation. But there will be those, those maybe that were children and left behind. I don't know, maybe others that were left behind that hear the gospel and those thousands will come to faith in Christ and those resurrection of those that have been killed will be taking place. And then there will be the millennial reign of Jesus That's a thousand years. Listen to what the scripture says. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven having the key to the bottomless pit and the great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should not deceive the nations anymore till the thousand years were finished. It's going to be that time of peaceful bliss. Wonderful reigning of Jesus right here on this earth. And then for just a short season, the scripture says Satan will be loose for a short time. He'll actually lead a revolt again against the saints but will be bound again and forever, and he'll be sentenced to the lake of fire forever. You say, where'd you get that? Revelation chapter 20 and verse 3 says that after these things, he will be released for a short while. And then in Revelation 20, verses 7 through 19, it says, Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out and deceive the nations which are the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the uh, the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city of God. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophets are and they will be tormented day and night forever and forever. He'll be loose for a short time, try to create some chaos, but then he'll be cast in the lake of fire and there he'll be forever. Immediately after that, it says there'll be a resurrection 
a resurrection of those who have never been saved. Listen to this in Revelation 20, 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to the works of their lives, of their works, and by the things which were written in the books. As you look at that judgment, it said one by one. I don't know how long that's going to take. Can you imagine how long it's going to take? One at a time, they'll stand before a holy God. It says the book of life will be there. There'll be an angel holding the book of life. We'll be there. We'll experience that judgment. As those that have never been saved will be caught up, called up before the great white throne judgment. And whosoever name is not found in the book of life, you know how many that is? Every last one of them. Not found in the book of life will be sentenced to everlasting torment in the lake of fire and never ever will receive the end of that. It'll go on forever and forever. But it says something else about the great white throne. You go go into the next chapter of Revelation 21. It says he begins to describe the new Jerusalem. And he says, and then God will wipe the tears from our eyes. And the former things will have passed away. And there'll be no more crying, no more sorrow. You know what that helps us to understand? That it's going to be a horrific, terrible time at the great white throne judgment. We're going to see people we knew. We're going to see students that we had classes with. We're we're going to see teachers, perhaps, that we had. We're going to see co-workers that we worked with. We're we're going to see neighbors that we enjoyed fellowship with and and had a good time with. And we're going to see Alabama and Auburn fans that we knew and we would get all excited together about it. And we're going to see them stand before the great white throne judgment and the redeemed are going to experience every bit of this. And one after another, it says they'll plead. Jesus said they'll plead to me. Didn't we not do this? Didn't we not try this? Didn't I do that? And Jesus said, I'll say to them, sorry, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And one by one, all of the unsaved will be cast into the everlasting lake of fire in torment. But it's after that, that the scripture says, and God will wipe all tears from our eyes. Church, I preach on this series so that we might be motivated, that we may have an understanding of what is ahead for us and what is ahead for the unregenerate that we may know 
what God's going to bless us with and what, what he has for us and the glories that we will enjoy in heaven. Lord knows we'll witness the great white throne judgment. I believe there'll be tears, sorrow, conviction, maybe. There goes my next door neighbor. I never told him about my faith in Jesus. Well, I... I she sat in the next office to mine at work. And I never once talked to her about Jesus. There's my oldest grandboy. We figured he was old enough that he could make his, up his own mind and do what he wanted to do. We didn't say anything else to him about coming to church. and He was never saved. There goes my boy. There's my daddy. We'll experience that. I think it'll be a horrific time. I say that to you. That we may be reminded as a church that we have been saved to do the work of evangelism. We have been saved to tell others about Jesus. We've been given the commission. Our Savior himself spoke that. And he tells us to tell all the world about Jesus. On that day, there'll be weeping. For the ones that were not reached for the gospel, but afterwards, he'll wipe all tears. Then there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. John says in Revelation 21, one that I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea existed no more. Why do I teach this? That we might have an understanding of the many lost that we don't forget to share the gospel that we might be reminded that we win. We might reminded, be reminded that heaven is ours. And we share this truth, that if there's any among us on any given Sunday who does not have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they may come to know him and be saved. And that you might be encouraged that we might be encouraged to live the life he's called us and equipped us to live, and that we might do the work that he's called us to do. I pray that this study will help you and never bring fear to your heart or mind. I pray that this study will encourage you and not discourage you. I pray that this study will set our souls afire for the propagation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we may be about the Great Commission, and that we will press on 
press on and press on. I believe we need it. I believe we need the challenge. I believe we need the motivation. I believe we need the conviction. We've gone through a terrible time for the last year and a half plus. It's been terrible because the church hasn't met together on a regular basis and and some folks don't have a private time of growing spiritually and so there's a stagnation. We've gotten used to being at home and not being at the church house and we've become comfortable with that. We're comfortable with watching the church service, watching the preacher, and you turn him off anytime you want to on the internet. We've gotten comfortable. The church was never meant to be comfortable in this world. We're to be on the go, we're to be moving. We're to be doing the work that God's called us to do. And we're to stay active in the word of God and growing spiritually and being motivated to do what he saved us to do. We're starting back Wednesday night this week. We hope. At this point, we still don't have the workers for Wednesday night children's activities, and the help that Joseph needs. We don't have the workers for the nursery. It's been like pulling teeth to get people to serve in the nursery. We've gotten lazy. We've gotten comfortable not being called on to do anything. And I've quit just teaching, I'm preaching now. We've gotten comfortable. God help us that we don't have to say to children and the parents, we don't have anything for you. Never happened before. Not going to happen now. I wish you would ask the Lord, what would you have me do? What would you have me do? It doesn't take much work. It doesn't take much time. It doesn't take a whole lot of preparation. You have to love children. You have to care about them. You have to care about their souls. And you have to care about their parents and their needs their spiritual growth. I'm just going to do this. They have no idea I'm going to do this. I'm going to ask Joseph and Stephanie. And I guess Kimmy's in the nursery, so Stephanie's going to be out there for Kimmy too. On your way out, just go by and tell them, if you need somebody, call me. If there's a place you need me to serve, let me know. I'm willing to serve. They're not going to take advantage of you. 
They just want the church at Dalreda to be the church at Dalreda, doing the work of the ministry so that one day he can say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let me put this disclaimer in. We are aware that not everybody is a children's worker. We know this. So if you're not, you're just not. We know that everybody's not equipped for this. Lord, we know that not everybody's equipped for youth work. Those animals are hard. But the workers are needed. We have Sunday school classes that need workers. The nominating committee is going to be meeting in the next couple of weeks. They're going to be calling some of you. Committee on committees is going to be meeting in the next couple of weeks. We had not met for almost two years. And they're going to be calling some of you and say, will you serve on this committee? Will you serve here? We've kept folks on there that should have rotated off over a year ago. And they're going to rotate off this time. They're going to be called. May this message of what is ahead for us, may it be retained in your heart, in your mind, and mine. And help us to grow, to be ready for what God has for us, and to be willing to be used for his glory. Father, thank you for the time in your worship today. Thank you for the hard message. Lord, I pray that my sweet spirit came through. But more importantly, I pray that your sweet Holy Spirit has spoken. Have your way. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.